Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. Those of you that are watching online, we're thankful. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced the blessing of eternal giving? And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever experienced how the Lord has used your gift or used you to give something that made an eternal impact? Not just like you gave somebody a gift that they were appreciative. I'm talking a real kingdom impact. Several years ago, it's probably about six years ago or so, Chad and I were in the room, in this room on, during the week, and we were working on the stage, and, and uh, these two ladies walked in. And uh, we said, hey, how's it going? Can, I, can we help you? And they said, well, we just want to look around. I said, okay, cool. Um, and uh, we'll show you around. And, and they said, uh, we are, uh, our, our maiden names were Fortune. And our dad was the first pastor of this church. We're like, oh my goodness, Reverend Fortune. We, we've heard about him. He's with the Lord. And, and uh, they said, we just wanted to come and see what God has done. And so we sat for over an hour just talking about how the Lord had moved and how God had worked. And man, tears just streamed down their face. You know, as, as they talked about their father coming from First Baptist Sperry to Owasso and God moved him to be the first pastor of this church. And, and now here we were and uh, all over Owasso, the mission center was, was just starting to be built. And, 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 you know, we were in Tulsa at that point. And, and they were like, oh my goodness, God, has been at work. And, and it was like one of those Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 kind of moments. You know what that verse says? Paul, at the end of Paul's prayer in Ephesians, it says, to, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Paul describes this picture of, of God at work for the rest of time through generation after generation. And it was super cool sitting here with them just talking about how God had taken the work of their father and just multiplied it in front of us. And it was just super neat. You, you know, um, it, it's amazing how God is at work in our church. And God has called us to this place, and he's called us to, to this time in the, in the history of the world. And, and, and this morning, we're, we're in this series that, that we're, um, we're calling Asking for a Friend. And, and this morning, we're going to tackle the question, why should I give to my local church? Now, now if you're visiting today, you may be going, great. Oh, man. <laughs> All you preachers, all y'all do is y'all just talk about money all the time. That's, that's really not true. But, but we, without apology, recognize that the Bible talks about money. And that we're called to, to teach the word. And we're called to, to recognize how God has moved in the world. And, and you know, as a, so, so really, I'm, I'm talking to our church family today. That's the focus of our church. Now, if you're a guest today, um, it's a great opportunity for you to kind of hear what God's doing in the life of our church and what God has in front of us. So it's a great day to be here. But, um, you know, I, I think about how we're, we're going to answer this question, why should our local church be, be the, a major target of your giving? Well, the short answer is this. 
that when it comes to a local church, I mean, think about what's happening here locally. I mean, it's your local church that's the, that's the, this is the main source of discipleship in your life. I mean, it's, it's in, it's the relationships that we build here. It's the, it's the way we serve together, the way we help one another, the way we walk together. This is the, the greatest opportunity to share the gospel with where you're planted, where God has called you. This is the greatest source of relationship as we encourage one another and walk with one another. This is, this is um, it's through the local church that we get an up-close, personal um, uh, uh, spotlight to the movement of God. And that's why it was so cool sitting with, the, with Mr. Fortune's daughters because we, we got to give them an up-close, personal spotlight snapshot to the movement of God. That's the local church. And when it comes to our call to give, our call to, to, to use what God has given us for, for kingdom purposes, the, the local church is the starting point for us. And, and the Bible's clear about our call to a local body, a, a local fellowship. And, and this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Because in Philippians 4, um, uh, this, this spotlight sh- or this passage shines a spotlight on what focused giving looks like. And what I want us to recognize is that God's called us to Tulsa and Owasso and the suburbs around this place. He's called us here. He's called us to live at this time in the history of the world. He's equipped us to, to serve him faithfully and, and effectively in, at this time in this place. So if you have your Bibles, first Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, let's stand together and let's read God's Word to get today. Paul writes this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. For I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, you you see Philippians 4.19. Look at this. Keep keep your Bible open there. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And Paul makes this bold statement to the church at Philippi. Remember, this is the letter to the Philippian church. It's it's the church at Philippi. And 
and, and Paul reminds us, reminds us of his own attitude, his own experience with, with the blessing of the church, how, how God provided. Look at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. And he said, look, I knew you were concerned, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. He says, I, I, and then he articulates that famous line, that, look, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in need or in times of want. And, and you know, Philippians 4.13 is kind of a famous passage. It's one that, that you hear a lot of times guys will say at the football game, God's going to give us the strength to beat those guys, you know. And, and uh, we're, we're, you have a lot of people quoting that when the Sooners and the Cowboys play. They go, Lord, give us strength to win, you know. But, but the context of that passage as Paul writes, look, I, I, I've struggled to be content. I've had times of need. I've had times of plenty. And what God does, God gives me the strength to face whatever circumstance I'm in. That's the context of Philippians 4.13. And Paul learned, these, learned this. He, 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 he learned that, look, God, you are faithful all the time. Now look at what he says in verse, verse 14. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. You know, more, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. The Philippian church saw a need and they said, Paul, we're going to help you. We're going to minister to you. And he said, only you have helped me and, and, and you aided me in verse 16. He goes, but he, but he says this, something interesting in verse 16 or 17, not that I desire your gifts, and notice this, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Your account. You know what it indicates? This is one of those places that God opens the window of heaven and points to the fact that every church, we're not only responsible to the Lord individually, we're responsible to the Lord corporately. And do you know that this is an indicator that Paul says, look, I want this credited to the account of the Philippian church. You know what that tells me? That, that in one day in heaven, when we are in glory and, and the victory is won and either Jesus comes back and we get to see it or God calls us home, that, that we're going to be gathered together as this local body going, hey, look what God did through us. And Paul says, look, this is going to be credited to your account. So many implications there as you think about God calling us to honor him in the way we live individually, but also corporately. That's so very important. He says, verse 18, I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And I love this. It says, your gifts, look at this, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Man, how, how cool is that? To be at the spot where, where the gifts we give to the Lord are, are like a fragrant aroma. It's, it's, a, it's an acceptable sacrifice. It pleases God. Oh my goodness, that's how I want to live. That's how I pray our church lives. Giving gifts and sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And then he goes on and says... Uh, that famous verse, verse 19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches 
in Christ Jesus. And I think back of our, of our church, how important it is for us to learn to honor the Lord with what, we, what he gives to us. And we, we understand the importance of this because Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, right? And I think about our experience over the last 10 years since, since I came to be your pastor. And oh my goodness, what God has done in our lives. Um, I, don't want us to ever for, I don't want us to ever forget this. Do you know that I uh, um, stood before our church about seven years ago and almost made a huge mistake? Because I followed the example that I've always seen from pastors. And I got up on a, on a Sunday night and I presented to our church a plan to buy 4.9 acres off Garnett and, and, and 116th. And we had a 30-year-old, there was a 30-year-old building on that, build, on that property. And I thought, man, we could, we could go into just this short, small amount of debt and buy this land. And I presented it to the whole church. And we were in a meeting and it was one of those times as a pastor that God just stopped me, stopped us. There's a man in our church that raised his hand and said, hey, Chris, I, I know of another piece of land that's real close to there. It's actually 10 acres. And we could build a new building. And I was sitting there going, daggum, I've worked my tail off today to try to bring this to our church. But I was like, all right, I'll go look at it. So we stopped it. And you know what God did in my heart as your pastor? He, he moved me to break this cycle of debt that I'd seen my whole life in a church and you know what? God led us to away from that 4.9 acres to the 10 acres that we now have. And, and he moved us not to go into debt, but to set money aside. And, and can we build a building, a $2.5 million project with no debt? Could we do that? Lord, that seems so big to me. I don't know that we can. But we said, let's try. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord. And, and I don't want us to ever forget what happened. I want to, and some of you weren't here, but we were, we were about $500,000 away from being able to break ground on the mission center. And, and you know what happened is uh, uh, I had some people come to me, Chris, let's just take out a loan, $500,000, we can knock out in no time. No, no, let's not do that. And then the call came. Uh, the call came three times to me to, to think about Tulsa. First time they, uh, Calvary Baptist Church called me, I, said, I didn't even call them back. The second time I went and met and said, I don't know, man. I don't know if we can, if we're supposed to be in a, another location in Tulsa. And, and then the third time they called and Johnny Kurtzinger called and said, you got to come meet with me. And, and we went and met. And he said, look, we need to join your church. The gospel needs to be shared here on Admiral. And we're about to shut our doors. You're supposed to help us, Chris. And I went, uh, Chad and Brad and Keith and I went to this local little place to eat. And we were, so let's just think about it. And, and we were sitting there. There was a guy there. It was just four of us at the whole place. And, and um, I sat down with this guy. I said, come eat with us. And this guy was sat down with us. And, and, uh, and I said, tell me about this community. We're thinking about kind of investing in a church here. What do you think? He goes, I think that'd be a great idea. There's a lot of needs here in this community. Oh, cool, man. We're thinking about, what's your name? He goes, my name's Jesus. I was like, oh my goodness, Jesus is going to be with us. We got to do this. And uh, uh, I'm not kidding. That's what he said. But I, I know that was a little bit of a joke. Uh, he wasn't actually Jesus. His was Jesus. But, um, but I thought, Lord, and I, I remember, we brought that to our church body. We we're $500,000 away. I remember the church meeting. I'll never forget it. When a lady says, hey, Chris, what do, do you think this will slow us down with the mission? 
I go, I don't know. I don't know. What if it speeds it up? I don't know. The question is, does God want us to walk through this door? And as a church family, we voted we're going to open the door to Tulsa. We're going to, we're going to embrace Calvary Baptist Church that is now the mission church. And, and two weeks later, after we took that step of faith, we said, let's just take up a one-day offering. That one-day offering was the largest offering in the history of our church, just over $500,000. And I watched God, after we took that step of faith, opened the door where we broke ground and fully funded a, a building without going into debt. Now, folks, um, God's been at work in our lives. God has worked in front of us. And, and, you know, when I look at this passage and I think about faithful stewardship, and I sat down with the fortunes daughters and said, let me tell you what God's done, and tears came down their face. It was an example of God showing us what eternal giving looks like. You know what steward, the, the word for that is stewardship. Let me give you four, four lessons, four examples of what stewardship is like. Number one, I want you to think about the term ownership. Ownership. You know that God owns everything? Psalm 24, verse 1 begins this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. You know what I've come to understand and come to learn, I'm still learning, is that God owns everything. God's given us everything we have. God gives, has given you everything you have. And he is faithful. And he provides for every need. He is faithful in times of plenty. He's faithful in times of scarcity. God is faithful and he owns everything. Let's never forget that. There's a second principle of stewardship. And it's this, Responsibility. It's the idea that we are managers of all God gives to us. You realize this is a command from the beginning of time. Genesis 2.15 says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And as, a, as followers of Christ all through history, God has called people at different times and in different places to steward, to, to be responsible, to manage all that God has called us to do. And I see this glaring lesson in Scripture over and over again. You see it in to the Philippian church as they say, look, Paul, we're going to provide for you. We're going to give to you. Um, and, and they did. And they, th there's this glaring lesson in Scripture that God owns everything and we are managers of all God gives to us. There's a third principle of stewardship. It's accountability. And this is the idea that we always give an account for the to God for the work that he's called us to do. I'll tell you, I'm going to give an account as a pastor. I'm going to give an account individually, but I'm also, we're also going to give an account corporately. And we see this in this passage, this, this, there's an account, and we're going to give an account corporately for how we stewarded what God has given to us. And we see this in the parable of the, of the talents in Matthew 25. Remember that? Remember that parable? Did Jesus, remember the, the, he says to one, I'm going to give you this, the, the master comes. Jesus told that earthly story with a heavenly meaning and said, the master came and gave one five talents, gave one three, gave one one. And the five talent guy, he went and invested and, and utilized it and God blessed him and doubled it. The, the three talent guy did the same. The one talent guy went and hid his. He wasn't responsible. 
And God, the master, came to him, and he says in 29 and 30, for whoever will be given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot of processing of that parable. But one of the things you see and you can't escape that parable is that God expects us to steward well what he gives to us. We are held accountable for how we serve the Lord. And we must never forget that and embrace that. You know, in our Baptist faith and message, we have a, a, a doctrinal, that's our doctrinal statement that we have stood on for a long time. Article 13 in the Baptist Faith and Message says this on stewardship, and I want you to see it. God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and are, we owe to him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve him with their time, talents, and material possessions and should recognize all these as entrusted to them to use for the glory of God and helping others. According to the scriptures, and notice this, I want you to see this, according to the scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on the earth. And this is a calling that we have, to steward all that God has given to us. And I want us to see, we, 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 we understand the scriptures to communicate very clearly that we are held accountable and we must never forget this. The last principle of stewardship is this, and it's reward. It's the idea that faithfulness gives us a front row seat to the promises of God. And you know what, as I pray, as we, as we serve the Lord in these days, and, and I don't know if we'll be a, a witness to the coming of Christ, and, 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 you know, we may be here when that trumpet sounds and, and Jesus returns. And, and I'll tell you, when he, when he, if, he, if that's the case, if that's our calling, I pray that we're faithful. Or we may be here, we may hear that call individually where God calls us home. One of the things I pray that we recognize is that we will... We are responsible both individually and corporately to how we serve the Lord, how we give to the Lord, how we've managed all that he's given to us. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And you know, I'm thankful that God stopped me when I was leading this church to become a slave to a lender. You know, through that process, you know what God has, God has confirmed over and over again? Our calling to live debt-free as a church until Jesus returns. And that's my prayer. And that's our plan. Now, um, as, we, as we do that, we've got to learn to steward well. Do you know we have, the, the, the majority of our giving in our church is not, not big gifts. It's a bunch of people giving faithfully. We determined several years ago that about 16% of our church really is likely giving at the level of a tithe. 
We've discovered now that's about 20%. So we've seen God be faithful to move that percentage up. But let's think about that 20% of our church is not honoring the Lord, likely. I mean, I'm not looking at your salary, but you're supposed to look at your salary. You're supposed to evaluate, God, am I honoring you with what I'm giving? Am I proportionately giving? Am I, am I uh, giving in a way that brings glory to you? This is a calling we have. And, and, and you know what? Um, when I think about all the things that have happened over the last 75 years of our church, and I think about what's ahead the next 10 to 20 years for us, hey, we got some work to do. We got, I, 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 have, I have had the blessing, challenge, privilege of being a pastor during a pandemic. You know what I've discovered? That because our church was debt-free, it put us in the greatest position to make the greatest impact. And you know what? Through a pandemic, right now, we're, we're I don't know if you've heard this. I'm, I'm supposed to prepare you for the future. And uh, this is news to you. You may write this down. We might be moving into a recession. That's what you know. I don't want you to be caught off guard. That's a joke. But, but do you know what? If we stay debt-free as a church... That puts us in the greatest position to make the greatest impact where God has planted us. And so we got some things to accomplish. Like, I want you to know, we've already set aside some money to renovate the Fellowship Hall at the Mission Church. Well, first of all, we built the Mission Center. And Brennan told me this week that last month, I think it was 202 families came to the mission and we helped 202 families in this community. And that's just the people that came in. We're not talking about the people that we went out to. Folks, that, that, I am thankful that we built that. And, and you know what? Did you catch what Chad got up and said a few minutes ago? That we are giving 24% of our, of what comes in, we give it away. You know what? For too long, I've watched pastors set a bad example corporately for families individually. You know what? For the first time in my life, it's dawned on me that we are actually setting an example corporately for how you should live individually in the way we give. Um, you know, um, renovations in Tulsa are about to start, and that's going to be a great help to that community. And now as I look around at the, what God has given to us, 20 acres right here where we're sitting on, we have 10 acres off Garnett at the mission, nine of it we are mowing. Surely we're not going to mow that for the next 10 years. Uh, we have five acres in Tulsa that we have to continually, it's an old building, we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to keep working on that. We've got some things we need to do from when it comes to connecting with our community right here. 
we got some work to do. So how are we going to do it? Uh, let me tell you what's on my heart. The challenge I want to bring to our church is that for the next 10 years, we set an, a, a budget that is, that is strong, that helps us year by year reach this community and move forward as a church. But then over and above our budget, I want to challenge our church to never go into debt again for every project, for any project. And we learn to set aside a million dollars a year over and above our budget for the next 10 years. Folks, we've learned that we can set money aside. Now it's time to start setting money aside for bigger things. And so this is a call we have. I believe this is a responsibility we have. And I believe that in this posture, it allows us to make the biggest impact that we'll, ever, we'll be able to make for the next 10 years. Chad, I want you to come up and tell us how we're going to do that. All right. Do you appreciate the heart of your pastor? I hope that you do. That's, that's such a good, a good message. It's such a, such a great thing for us to do. And I know that when we say something like, hey, a million dollars over in our budget, that sounds like, wow, that's a lot. Those are numbers that are bigger than, than what I'm used to dealing with. Our operating budget is about $3.25 million right now. And God has just blessed us in a great way. We meet that budget on a regular basis. And so why a million dollars more? Well, our church has proven over and over again that you are going to be the people who share the gospel, who raise up disciples, who send out missionaries, and who help people. Uh, it's what I said earlier today. You've proven it to the tune of nearly a million dollars a year, just giving it away for those purposes in addition to everything else that we do on a regular basis. And so why a million dollars a year? Well, because there's some projects that we need to do right here and right now for the next several years. 20 years ago, there was a group of people who came actually to this location. Before this location, we were on 86th Street. There were a group of people who came to this location, and it's like they planted a seed. And they said, hey, what will God do with this seed that we've planted? What will, what will he do 20 years from now with that? And some of us were here for that, but some of us weren't. And we're sitting here as people who have enjoyed the generosity and the blessing of a previous generation. I think it's time for us to consider what will we give to bless a future generation? What kind of generational giving can we can we participate in in order to, to bless a future generation? What seed would we plant today that could be something 20 years from now? And so there's some projects that we've been talking about that will actually, I believe, empower us to continue to fulfill that ministry and that mission that we've talked about, about raising disciples and, and sharing the gospel and sending out missionaries and helping people. I think it's just going to amplify that. And so a number of those projects, as we give a million dollars more over the next several years into the future, they involve things like uh, some further renovations on the Tulsa campus. They involve things like student buildings and kids' renovations and same, some things like that. But there's some immediate needs right now in the next three years we really need to tackle. One of the things that we learned during COVID is that when the world shuts down, 
the worship arts ministry team and the team of people who produce our online broadcast, they're the people who show up. And they show up right here in this room, and they show up using the technology that we're using right now. I don't know if you realize this, but by the end of the day today, there's going to be approximately 250 to 300 people who have participated in our worship services online. And I'm so thankful that you're here with us participating online. And I'm using that word for you guys and for all of us very specifically. When it comes to being online, it needs to not just be a sit and watch moment. It needs to be something we participate in. From participating online, we should, in a large group, we should move to an online small group that then moves to an online or maybe even a face-to-face meetup where we're serving together and we're and we're we're involved in our community together and some things like that. And with the right technology and in the right way, we can accomplish that. 250 to 300 people is actually more people participating in an online worship service than participate in person on campus in most Southern Baptist churches throughout the entire United States. I believe God's given us, uh, he's entrusted us with the responsibility I've taken a look at people online and saying, thanks for being here. We're glad you're here, but we don't want you to just watch. We want you to participate. And you can participate in this possibility as well in the way that you give and in the way that you live and in the way that you do what you do, not just online, but wherever God sends you. And so I think it starts with an improvement to our online campus. You know, the the technology we're using in this room, much of it is 20 years old. There are things that take place behind the scenes on a regular basis in this room technologically that you never even know about because the team of volunteers who make our services happen online and in the room are exceptional at what they do. So we need to improve this space. We need to improve the technology that makes this space work. Well, why do we need to do that? Well, because when our church comes together to celebrate, this is the room we come to. And when our church comes together to mourn or to lament or in a time of crisis or in a time of stress, this is the room that we come to. We need to make the tools and the rooms that we use ready, not for what happened 20 years ago, but for what can happen 20 years from now as we invest in future generations. As we invest in our broadcast ministry, as we invest in this room to help support that broadcast ministry and everything that we do inside the life of the church, we should also invest in the common area around the life of our church. God's blessed us with three campuses. We can unite the look and the function and the feel of all of those three campuses, and it kind of starts as people walk into the building. They can walk into this space and know that the Mission Church in Tulsa, the Mission Center in Owasso, and this church, First Baptist Owasso, are all one in heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can accomplish all of those things all together as we give. You know, I think about that million-dollar number, and I think, wow, that sounds like a lot, but I do believe that it's a smart goal. I believe it's a faith-based goal, and, and let's just do the math real quick, and you can, you can see this with me uh, for just a second. You can see kind of what that math looks like. I said over the past five years, we've given $18 million. Somebody, you math wizards out there, just cut that in half. What is half of $18 million? Nine million, very good. And we did that on average in two and a half years, right? Two and a half years, nine million dollars. And, and cut that in half again, it becomes four and a half million dollars. We did, we did nine million dollars in two and a half years. We did four and a half million dollars on average in one year and three months. And for us to say, well, our regular budget is 3.25 million, and we think we can give a million dollars more every year towards next steps, towards our operating budget, as we just give together. I think it's very possible for us to do that because we're already doing that. 
a, a year and three months at a time. We're, it's, it's already, we're already accomplishing that. So I believe that goal is something that I think of as smart. It's specific, it's measurable, it's achievable, it's realistic. And then if you're familiar with smart goals, the T for me is something different. I think it's a goal that's based on trust. I trust that God is going to provide for his people. That's you and me. And I trust that together we're going to provide for the work that he's called us to do in this place. Like I said earlier, my gift is not enough to do that. Your gift alone is not enough to do that. But what happens when, it's amazing what happens when God puts those gifts together. Together, they become something more. There's a story in scripture about this boy who just takes his five loaves and his fish, and he just takes them to Jesus and says, hey, God, it's not much, but you can have it. And it's amazing what Jesus does with that. He takes it, and he blesses it, and then he breaks it, and then he multiplies it, and he uses it for his glory and for his namesake, and not one person left that that congregation, that moment, not one person left hungry. And the reason why is simply because somebody said, I don't know what I have to give, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. And so that's the challenge. How can we together give in a way that affects generational giving so that we're planting the seed today for what, can God, for what God can do 20 years from now? How can we improve this place and all the places God has entrusted to us so that we can be the people who make a difference in this community, in this generation? so that we can use who we are and what we have for the benefit of others. Now, I'm going to ask Chris to come back up. And as he comes back up, I want to be crystal clear. There's an easy way for you to do this online. As you talk about, this is how I'm going to give my tithes, and this is how I'm going to, and this is how I'm going to give, give to next steps. You can find that online and on our app. There's easy ways for you to be involved in that. And I want, you, I want to encourage you to be involved. Now, I want you to, I want to, I want you to know, that the three projects that were, that were listed, that's not going to take $10 million. A million dollars a year for the next 10 years. But I'll tell you what we have. It's, we've got to learn to set aside significant amounts of money every year to accomplish um, uh, renovations for our students and children, to steward what happens at the Mission Center, that nine acres. Y- you know, uh, I asked the question at the beginning, have you ever gotten to see what it looks like to have eternal impact in your giving? That's what I'm praying that happens over the next 10 years. Because you know what God's done in our church? When he blesses us, and this is what God does in the lives of his people, when, when we are not plagued by debt, and we have the ability to say, Lord, what have you given to us? We start dreaming up things like the mission center. And oh my goodness, giving is so fun. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was a youth minister, and we were going on a mission trip to Mexico. And I had this, this random idea. I thought, let's, let's take up some cash. I went to a couple of people and said, would you just give us some cash to, to just use as blessing money? And, and they handed me $1,200 to go to Mexico with these 115 students. And, we, and I got them all together and I said, hey guys, before we leave, I just want you to know I got, I got $1,200. Let's ask God to use us. Let's ask God to use this. 
And so we said, cool, Lord, would you show us where to give this? And, and we were driving, we stopped for lunch in Waco because that was the lunch spot. You know that, I don't know if you've ever been to Waco down, I think it's I-35 with all those restaurants right there. We were, we were in like nine restaurants. We were, our kids were all over the place. I was in one of them. And uh, I had a group of kids come up and go, Chris, Chris, we were over here at whatever, Whataburger, whatever. And they said, there was a family there that we met and their car broke down. And they told us it's like 350 bucks and they just didn't have the money. They were, they were nervous. Do you think that counts? It's like, yeah, it does. How much? I go, here's 400. Go give it to them. Really? Yeah. And they, these kids walked over to that family and said, hey, um, like, here. And that family was like, what? What? I'm telling you what. Those kids were on, they, they thought, oh my goodness, they got to see God use them. You know, these projects, that's just the beginning, and we're going to do it as we go. But I'll tell you, if we can choose to be a body corporately that says we're no longer going to be a slave to a lender, and we're going to learn to discipline ourselves and give to the Lord and honor the Lord with what he gives us. You know, you're going to get a pamphlet, and there's a chart in that pamphlet. I want to explain that chart. That chart says, it's got a chart that says, if you make this amount of money, here's what 5% giving looks like. If you make this amount of money, here's what 10% giving looks like. You know, many of you, some of you, can say, I'm honoring the Lord with everything I'm given. Awesome. That's great. Some of you aren't. Some of you will look at that list and you'll be at a 5%. Do you realize that if just our church body gave at a, a tithe level, I believe the 10% of your giving should go to your local church. But, but I want you to notice something. Our church doesn't just give 10%. Our church is giving 24% every year. And that's just in our budget. And, and we're not changing that. You know, for the first time in my history of a, well, I guess this is the only time I've ever been a senior pastor, so you are my history of being a senior pastor. But... But you know what? I've lived the last 10 years as a pastor actually we've been for the most part setting it a good example for all of our people on how to live. I've just made the mistake of not talking about it enough. I'm proud of our church. I'm proud that we've gotten to the point where we are we are giving generously. We're, we need to get better at saving wisely. I, I think we're living appropriately. But what I want us to do is move to maturity. And I want us to develop the muscle 
of generosity. And I don't know about you, but it sounds awfully fun to trust the Lord with a, with a big old goal like that and then watch how he leads us together. That's the kind of church I want to I be a member of for the next 10 years of my life, for the next 20 years of my life. Actually, until Jesus either comes back or calls me home. And I just think it'll be a cool day to be in heaven, sitting together going, wow, God, we honored you. We honored you. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Our invitation today, if you're not a believer, oh man, I say this all the time, you need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take. And I just don't, I don't know why you'd go one more day without knowing Christ. Oh my goodness. These, these kids that came to be baptized today, that's how we're supposed to come to Jesus. Just trusting him. Just trusting him. But we get to be adults and we stop trusting him. Are you trusting him with your finances? Let's start. Let's take some steps. Let's move to that 10%. Let's, let's consider once you get that muscle developed, what if, what if you got to what our church is doing and you gave 24% of your income to kingdom purposes? That's a cool kind of life that I don't want you to miss. Would you ask the Lord today? Our invitation is we're going to, I'm not going to call you forward. I do want you to pray though about when and how you're going to start moving to that 10%. And you're going to start asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want to use me in my church? Would you ask the Lord that? Joe's going to sing a song over us. If you're with your, wife, your husband or wife or your family, you might just pray together. Or if you're, Robin and I prayed in the first service, so I'm going to sit right here and pray again. But ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want to use me? Would you bow your head? Lord Jesus, move us now. Thank you for our church. And Lord, we, we know that you have worked among us and in front of us. And we're really grateful. You've provided for us. Everything we have is yours. We know that. And Lord, we, we need to do, we need to do a, a better job. Lord, help me to be a more faithful pastor in my leadership. Lord, may we honor you with the work of our hands. Thank you for teaching us, and may we continue to put these lessons into practice day by day. Would you even speak to us now as we take a moment to reflect
on what you want us to do. Forgive us, Lord, for not even mentioning to you and bringing the question to you, am I honoring you with my giving? And so today we're going to do that as, a, as individuals and as a body. Lead us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Joe, lead us. Sing.